0: With Capella University's FlexPath Learning Format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at Capella.edu. The legends are true. But
1: overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes!
0: Hey, James here. I am so excited. Five years ago, I started this podcast, and even before I released episode one of this podcast, I interviewed one of the smartest people on the planet, I think, one of my favorite authors, Robert Greene. He wrote The 48 Laws of Power. He wrote Mastery. He wrote so many great books. I highly recommend all of his books, listen to my podcast with him from 2014 we're re-releasing the very first podcast i did with him and uh soon we'll have uh, another podcast with him hopefully so just such a genius i'm excited to re-release this podcast from five years ago it still holds up today one thing i will say he told me in this podcast and there's just so many things in the podcast that were just unique and special to the podcast but he said everybody has a different process and a different journey some people come to me and say, I have no idea what my passion is. And then he described how you start developing your passion. You'll hear that in this podcast. But basically for the next 370 podcasts with such amazing, excellent peak performers in from every industry, I dive down on these questions that Robert Greene and I spoke about in this very first podcast. So enjoy listening to this re-release and let me know what you think on Twitter. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. This is James Altucher, and I'm here with one of my all-time favorite authors, Robert Green, the author of not only Mastery, but the 48 Laws of Power, The Art of Seduction, and, and several other books, publications everything. Robert, you're like one of the smartest people I've ever spoken to. When you read your books, there are so many examples and so much research, it makes me, it's an, I'm intimidated by the number of, there must be like 500 biographies in all of your books.
1: Uh, well, it, generally I, I read about two or 300 books to make one book. Uh, yeah, I've read probably over thousands of biographies. Uh, what was
0: like the last biography you've read? Just so I know what to read tomorrow
1: um god um i don't know i'm I'm preparing for my next book i actually just read uh, phil jackson's new new book called eleven rings so that might be the last biography i've read
0: what's uh what's the next book about and then and then i want to actually start talking about your last book which is called mastery but what's your next book about
1: well, in Mastery, I have a chapter on, on what I call social intelligence, uh, chapter four, and I'm basically expanding that into a, an entire book. And I'm going to give you uh, sort of the, what I call the laws of human nature. Um, these go back thousands of years. It's sort of looking at uh, us humans as if we're sort of animals that behave according to particular patterns of behavior. And I'm going to give you kind of a code book uh, so that you can understand the weird behavior of the people that you deal with—that's uh, that, sort of the general idea.
0: Well, well, I, I want to dive into that a little bit more because I sort of feel that's a prevailing theme of all of your books, which is social yeah. intelligence. But what's you mentioned specifically, code book? What's an example of code here that you're gonna that you're gonna dive into?
1: Well, you know, sometimes, um, let's say you're you're trying to persuade somebody to to fund your project and they seem interested and then like two weeks later uh, they're not suddenly interested and you wonder what's going on and you assume that they've just they lost interest, they're not a good person, something is wrong, or they're just an ass if I can say that here. And you know, you go through these kind of emotional reactions. And I'm going to show you that, in fact, probably what's happening is, first of all, people are very flighty. We all experience a moment of enthusiasm, and then 10 minutes later, we don't feel that same way. But more generally, what happens is you've not been getting at their self-interest. You're not appealing to something. They, They no longer see what's in it for them. They were initially excited, but they aren't. So I'm going to show you, like, dependent on what it is that you're reading from them, not just their coolness, but other signs, what is happening so that you can now plan your next attack and maybe include something that will sort of perk up their interest more because they'll see that they're going to get something out of it. It's that kind of thing. I could give you a hundred more examples, but I haven't written the book yet, so it's, it's it's all in my head.
0: You know, it reminds me a little of uh, Robert Cialdini's book on influence and how he basically looks at evolutionary techniques and how those are used to influence people.
1: I I read that book, I think, years ago for Seduction. It's an excellent book. and I think I, I used it a bit in Seduction, definitely, though.
0: Well, well. again, it reminds me also of, you know, not only in uh, Seduction, but 48 Laws of Power, those two books in particular. But also in Mastery, how uh, a lot of what you talk about in Mastery is social intelligence, is how we communicate ideas and influence other people. What's the role of that in general in Mastery? Let's say percentage wise, if you were to break out all the components of mastering a topic.
1: I, I don't know. It's 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 more like 20, 25% of the game. So let's say that you're somebody who's really brilliant. You're like an Einstein. You're a tech genius or a business genius, but you've got really bad people skills. Um, you're you're kind of pushy. You don't listen. Oh, you know, I could go on and on. Um, it, Thanks
0: game, for describing you know, me, by the way.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know you, so I, I didn't mean it personally. No, no, um, I'm just kidding. Uh, you're negating all of your talent. So all of that, you know, going to Princeton and getting your degree and all that hard work is completely neutralized by your horrific people skills. Um, and so I, when I wrote the book, I, I believe that people nowadays who have real skill, who've mastered a, a craft of any kind, are going to be running the, the world in the future. Um, and, but, you ha- but it's not just about being a great nerd you you have, we're a social animal, everything you do involves other people, you're always continually having to sell your ideas, um, and if you're terrible at it, you're just going to have a life of misery, and in my books, I, you know, I, I have examples of people who were highly talented and who were miserable because they couldn't deal with people like Nikola Tesla in The 48 Laws of Power, one of the greatest geniuses that ever lived, uh, but he was just awful with people. And then I have in my new book this doctor, Doctor Semmelweis in the 19th century, who could have been greater than Louis Pasteur, but he offended everybody that he came in contact with. So, you know, it, it's not everything. It's not all about being political and being a bullshit artist and knowing how to charm people. That that has its limitations too. But in, depending on what field you are in, you can you have to have uh, some degree of awareness. Of people, how they're thinking, how to get inside their minds, and imagine what their perspective is. So it's it's a critical part. And one other thing I mentioned, like you asked me, like a code book type thing. Um, you know, there'll be a uh, there'll be a typical scenario where you're uh, you just entered a workplace or some new environment, and suddenly somebody is super friendly to you, uh, and it just sort of uh, takes you off guard and you're kind of charmed and seduced by them. It doesn't have to be a sexual thing. It's just a colleague or a friend. And really what's happening probably is they have a degree of envy of you. They're setting you up for some kind of negative action because people generally are a little wary when they first meet each other. So somebody who's super overly friendly on a first encounter is a sign of something wrong. So these are the kinds of things that I'm going to help you decipher.
0: Ah, that that's very interesting It reminds me a little in your seduction book of the um technique where you uh build someone up when you meet them so that gives you ammunition to take them down later and have them yep. drawn towards you once you take them down
1: Yes, it's a particularly nasty seduction technique um it's like i call it it's creating a wound in the other person, so you're sort of making it doing a hot and cold thing where. Uh, you you get them a little bit under your influence, and then you, you you pull back or you say something a little bit biting, but you don't. You follow it up with being kind of warm and friendly. It really puts people off balance. Um, very powerful seductive technique.
0: I, I want to circle back to that, but first I want to talk about. Uh, mastery of it, which I think, which is just a, a brilliant book. I highly recommend it for everybody. Uh, and let's, let's get to specifics. Like the book has so many uh, extensive examples and you really don't, you don't really say here's how to master something A, B, and C. I mean, you provide lots of A, B, and C's all over the book, which is, which is I think great, but you talk about apprenticeship, you talk about uh, you know the various ways then you, you break away from apprenticeship to form your own creativity. Maybe describe a little bit, uh, if you were going to give someone the five minute summary of how to master a topic, what, what would be the most important factors to look at?
1: Well, the, the, the most important factor is chapter one in the book and you're never gonna master something unless you understand this. The brain is designed to learn, we learn much better when we're emotionally engaged, when we want to learn, when we're motivated, when we feel the need to learn. I compare it to, let's say, you you want to learn, uh, you have to learn French, um, and if it's like in the university and it's something you have to study, in one year you're not gonna learn very much, but if you're in France and your girlfriend is French and you need to get a job and you need to speak French, because you're there and you're motivated, um, you're gonna learn like 20 times faster. That's just how the brain works.
0: What's of- happening there though is at first you find the girl rather than yeah. first you say to yourself, I wanna get good at French.
1: Yeah, that could, that could be. But the, the point that I'm making uh, is that when you're motivated to learn something, you have to learn it, uh, you're gonna learn much faster. So you're in France and you met this great girl, but she speaks no English and you've got to be able to learn French in order to communicate and seduce her. You're so highly motivated that you're going to learn, uh, I said, 10 times, 20, 50 times faster than the university student back in New York or wherever you're studying. So the thing is, a lot of people go wrong. They choose a career because it's about money. Uh, I have nothing against money. We all have to make a, a living. But let's say you go into law because that's what your parents are pushing you into and other people and it seems lucrative, but you yourself aren't personally excited by it. You're going to start tuning out. You're not going to learn very fast. After 10 years, you're going to burn out. There's, you're never going to become a master because it takes 10,000 hours. you probably all heard about that 10,000 hours. It's a brilliant study. It's just a number, but let's say it is it is pretty real, it could be nine 11,000. You're never gonna have the patience. You're never gonna be able to put in the 10 years or more studying something unless you really are excited about it, unless there's some kind of personal commitment to it. So it's by far the most important thing. It's that choice of the career. It doesn't mean you have to know exactly what you wanna be when you're 21 years old and then go pursue it. It's gonna be a process that might take you five, 10 years to figure out exactly what that is. For me, as a writer, it took me 15 years to find out I should be writing books like the kind that I write. It's gonna take time. Um, But if you don't make that first step, if you go into the wrong field, you're never gonna become a master. You're never gonna last long enough. So that's like, Uh, that's that's the first thing. And I think a,
0: a big question that many people have is, How do I find the thing that I'm passionate about? Now, you mentioned five to six years or 15 years in your case uh, in terms of wanting to be a writer, but what is that process by which someone finds what they're motivated enough to be a master about?
1: Well, everybody has a different process, a different journey. Some people know pretty clearly um, what it was when they were young. Uh, I met a woman who interviewed me. Um, She knew that she wanted to be a writer when she was a a young girl and then she got into law and it was a dead end and she hated it and she finally figured it out that she had to go back at the age of 31 to what she really loved. So there are going to be people like that. Um, But there are others and they come to me and they say, I have no idea what my passion is. I have no idea what I really love. And that's troubling. Because that means you don't, you're not listening to yourself. You're not aware of your own likes and dislikes. You've been paying too much attention to what other people are saying. So you have to go through a process now of kind of looking at yourself. I've worked as a consultant. I've dealt with people, many people, uh, who say that to me. They say, "I, you know, I'm 35, I'm 40. I don't know what, what it is that I was meant to do. I, I really have no idea. Okay, let's go back and let's look at your childhood. Let's look at the things that excited you. Let's look at maybe where you went wrong. Let's look at the things that you hate. If you hate working for a large company, if you hate politicking, you're probably meant to be an entrepreneur, to be working for yourself on some level. Um, Let's look at the things that when you open the newspaper or go online, these subjects really excite you, make you kind of like a child again where you want to learn about it. Slowly through, could take a couple months, could take a year, I don't know. Depends on the person. You're reconnecting uh, to to what I call a voice inside of you that, that you had when you were a kid that drew you to certain activities and you've lost touch with. Uh, You know, I could go on for four hours about the process that I've dealt with consulting, but it's basically not going to be overnight. You're not going to wake up and go, I should have been a doctor. And I went into the no, it doesn't like that. It it takes time, but it is it is so worth it.
0: So so. With, um, so after that, that first realization that, okay, I'm motivated to be a writer or I'm motivated to discover, you know, more uses of electricity or to be an internet entrepreneur or whatever it is, what's the next, what would you say is the next step?
1: Well. You know, first of all, if you're, if you're 22, um, and you're about to enter your career world, it's not gonna be like, I, it won't be like, I know this is exactly where I have to head. It's usually a matter of, I like this field, um, the sciences, or I like sports or whatever, a general category of things that you're gonna pursue. For me, it was writing. And so when I was 21, I decided I'd go into journalism, as a way to make a living and train myself as a writer. Um, so you're going to make a choice of something to start with that is somewhat related to that, that feel that you love. And it can be kind of general. It could just be the tech world, or it could be a certain kind of business. It doesn't have to be that specific. But you've got to make the right choice. Um, and once you get in there, um, I'm telling you that you want to think of your twenties as your apprenticeship now we don't use that word anymore and it's a shame that we don't Um, we you know we all go through usually the school system the education system where we're all kind of guided and there are teachers there to help us now there's nobody there to do anything for you maybe your parents but really nobody's there to guide you in this new part of your life so you're creating your own apprenticeship and that apprenticeship means you're gonna learn skills it's not about making money. If you if you are 22 and you're obsessed with making money, you're never going to really make a lot of money. It's it's kind of the a perverse uh, law of human nature that I'm going to discuss. The people who end up making huge amount, the most amount of money, are usually motivated by something else. And the classic example is is Steve Jobs. Somebody who from very early on was clearly not very interested in money and and look where he ended up. So you're choosing something that appeals to you, and then now you're open. You're on, like I call it, a a journey. Um, And you're going to discover, I like what I'm doing here, but there's something better for me. It's not exactly right. I knew that journalism after three years wasn't really right for me. So I went into a different kind of writing. Well, you'll figure, all right, I'll go into a different line of work, a different business, still related. And as you do this, you're going to be accumulating skills, experiences. You're going to be observing people. You're going to get political, social skills. And by the time you're 31, you're going to own the world. You're going to have a lot of experience. And then you'll be able to figure out how to combine everything that you've learned into something great, something that really uh, appeals to you. And I give examples in the book. You know, there's a guy, uh, I interviewed contemporary masters, uh, one of us, Paul Graham, who started a company called Y Combinator, uh, which is like a entrepreneur system for tech people in Silicon Valley. It's worth billions of dollars. And he is a, the same thing. He didn't realize until he was 31, I, I think 30, what it was that he was meant to do. But in his 20s, He did all of these amazing experiences that that served as a foundation for what ended up being this great tech business that he created um, for for Netscape back in the 90s. So be prepared not to necessarily strike gold when you're 25 or 26. Uh, It's going to take some time. But if you think of it as your own education that you yourself are in charge of, You're going to be a lot better off than people who just wander around and just choose any career.
0: Robert, I think this is a really important message now, even from an economics point of view, just because what we're seeing is kind of the disintegration of the middle class. And the middle class was formed by the conformity of the traditional school system, the conformity of traditional corporatism, where everybody feels that they're safe in their cubicle and they could rise up and get promotions and so on. People now have to essentially whether it's become masters or become close to masters, they have to take charge of their, their economic lives, which means they have to do something they're motivated by and they're interested in. Even if they don't put in their 10,000 hours, they kind of have to take control of their own lives. And that's why I think this message has become critically important in today's society.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I can look at my father. He worked at the same company uh, for 40 years, and they were loyal to him and he was loyal to them. And it's not that long ago that that world existed that people would work at one place and things were sort of taken care of. But that's just been blown away, obliterated, probably by the internet, by other things going on. It's you it, it might as well be the era of the dinosaur, uh, right. and you 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 cannot rely on you. You know that that company you're working for now, they'll probably downsize you the first opportunity they can, or as soon as you reach a certain age they'll replace you with somebody who's cheaper that's just the nature of it i'm not saying it's good i wish it weren't that way but this is my books are about realists or being realistic and that's just the, the nature of it so yeah you got to take control um of your own life and, and, and craft and apprenticeship. Now, the, you mentioned the 10,000 hour. It doesn't mean, I want to clear up a misconception here. It doesn't mean that you are learning, you're playing chess for 10,000 hours and then you become a master or medicine or whatever. Those 10,000 hours could come from different things you have done in your life. So, for instance, this woman that I mentioned, who spent her twenties in law and realized it was the wrong thing. She decided when it was finished that what she would do was become a writer, but become a writer about legal issues, which was a, a very brilliant move on her part. Um, so now all of that legal experience added up to three, four thousand hours already of writing, of experience about legal matters. And then when she started getting into journalism, you know, now the hours are piling up. You can take that time that you think you wasted doing something else and you're going to apply it to something that really appeals to you. And suddenly all of that experience enters into the, into the practice. I did a lot of really bad jobs myself because as a writer I wanted a lot of experience. I did construction work, etc. And all of those jobs taught me about people, and about weird power situations, and about the games uh, bosses play in all different kinds of, of, of careers, all of which I used for the 48 Laws of Power. So you can be 35, and you're not going to go, oh, damn it, I can't do 10,000 hours. My life's screwed. No, you've already probably done 5,000 hours. Now you've got to find a way to apply it in a way that's appropriate and, and personal.
0: So that's a great way to look at it. It's almost like your past... Don't view it as, you know, you've messed up or whatever. But basically, how have you built these prior hours as a safety net that you could then use to build either mastery or close to mastery so that you can make that leap from the corporate job or the job that you're not really that excited about to something that you are more excited about? You're not, not everyone's a Mozart, but everyone can use the hours that they've built up to build some sort of safety net for themselves if they apply your techniques. What is the relationship between mastery and happiness? Because many of the examples you use, and in fact, you used the example earlier of Steve Jobs, but also let's throw in, you know, Mozart and Napoleon and so on. These... And Tesla, these people did not end up as happy people for you know by and large. So
1: well, well I would I would very really much take issue with that. I mean, uh, Steve Jobs, you know, he was a tempestuous person who was sort of upset, had a very obsessive personality. But I would say, um, you know, judging on the biography, the last twelve years of his life must have been in, in, in immensely satisfying. Um, and there are people, you know, it depends on your definition of happiness. So I, you know, the book is called mastery. It's not called happiness. If I wanted to write a book on happiness, I would say, you know, go, go take drugs and and hang out in Peru on a hilltop or something. That's not what my book is about. But I'll I'll say that I I am making the point that everybody has creative potential. Um, everybody, I believe and i think the worst feeling in life um comes from the sense as you get older that you didn't somehow tap that potential you're not expressing what you think you could have expressed and i think it really makes a lot of people uh, very very unhappy um so you know mozart mozart was had a pretty great life when he finally left his father the last he died young but he i would certainly claim he was He's pretty happy. I don't think a lot of these people who we see as, as very driven are necessarily unhappy. They've, they, 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 they do spend a lot of time with their work, and they are maybe obsessive. But that kind of a, a attention to detail, to, to doing what you love, brings a, a sense of satisfaction hmm. that comes that maybe uh, isn't the same satisfaction that you might get from an immediate rush of going to a party it's a different kind of happiness it's it's something a little more like a fulfillment and, well, and i believe oh, actually that that mastery is the path towards that so, and, and i have a quote oh, in there from da vinci uh which i love which is basically just as a just as a, a day when you've worked hard brings a, a blessed sleep a life in which you've Fulfilled what you're doing brings a blessed death. I'm quoting it horribly, but the idea is if you felt like you realized your potential, you almost feel like you can die a happy person, sort of thing.
0: Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Altucher, would you like to apply to be VP of entertainment at NBC or whatever? of the kind of person who needs hymns. That's com slash James for your personalized treatment options. himscom slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. So I, I want to circle back to um, the one of your earlier books, which was uh, on seduction. And and this is also related to 48 Laws of Power, where essentially you give lots of, uh, not necessarily techniques, but different types of ways in which uh, people can use, and I'll use the word manipulation, to yeah. get what they want. And what I'm wondering is often in manipulation it's the manipulator is viewed as having power and the person he's manipulating is viewed as the weaker person but in reality it's most likely reverse the reason you have to manipulate is because you're you are the weaker person and uh-huh. if, if manipulation continues don't you think some anxiety results um from the person being manipulated that ultimately backfires on the manipulator
1: well, can you give me an example? It's also general. It's kind of hard to to get my teeth into. It's kind of general that way.
0: Well, let's say let's say um, I'm in a relationship with a girl, and yeah. uh, I'm constantly pulling back. Or, you know, withholding yep. affection in order to get her to do things I want. I'm not, necessarily, I'm not saying I do this. I'm just saying this is a type of yeah, right, uh, sure. uh, seduction. You've, you've mentioned it in your, in your book, this type of uh, seduction. Eventually, the other side of that is going to get sick and tired of it.
1: Well, then, if they do get sick and tired of it, you're a, you're a bad seducer. I mean, uh. what 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 is your your goal? I, I, the goal is, is is in the seduction game is is to actually seduce the person, which means you know you you either you, you, you sleep with them or you have a, a relationship, depending on what you want. Well, <clears throat> at a certain point, you stop playing hot and cold um, because it's no longer effective, because as you say, they're going to see through it, and they're going to get tired of it. Um, so you're, you see, this is the problem people have, can't, you know, it's a book, I can't like be there in the room with you and talk to you as you <laughs> read it. But the problem people have sometimes is you, 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 you take you take things too literally, and, and um, it's also maybe a fault of my own in the kind of books that I write, it's not totally, it's not the, the reader's fault necessarily. But The whole thing of seduction is how outward you are you're sensitive to the other person you've got like these antennae that are invisible and your feet and your hearing and listening and sensing that that they're getting exasperated with you that they're falling for you that that this is what's happening and you gauge what you do depending on what you're picking up from them so if you were an experienced seducer if that's what you wanted to be um you're not just simply applying um, a strategy from the art of seduction. You're watching the other person and entering their spirit, which is one of the titles of the chapters, and kind of thinking what they might be thinking, and, okay, this is what's appropriate here. And then, you know, the word manipulation, I don't, I'm don't. i not going to run away from it. There, the, there, the books, both of those books you mentioned, um, many of the chapters or laws deal with what we would call manipulation, but... When you're trying to start a relationship, uh, let's say with a woman, um, you know, you you put effort into things. You dress maybe a little more nicely. You take her to nice places. You put an effort into it. Um, and the woman sees this effort and is charmed and seduced by it because it means you're thinking of the other person as an individual, not as just you know, like a thousand other people you've met. That's what makes it so seductive. So is that manipulation? It's really kind of courtship. And a lot of women will end up complaining that men don't make any effort. So the opposite of seduction is like making no effort, just being yourself, just being kind of sloppy, the sort of taking her to Pizza Hut and watching a football (laughs) game kind of thing. I don't deny that some of it's manipulation, but some of it is just the fact that you're showing that other person that you're and, playing this kind of courtship game, and it's supposed to be pleasurable. It's not supposed to be... And,
0: and Robert, just to be clear, it's definitely not your fault as an author. It's definitely my own idiosyncrasies as I uh, as I read through this and relate to my own experiences, so tr- trust well, that.
1: The way the books are written, sometimes they can be taken... The wrong way and uh, everybody brings their own personal experience to it so I've, I've discovered that people who've been manipulated by somebody else who've been the victim of someone that we would call sociopathic they read my books in a much different way from others that haven't. so everybody brings their own world to it and and I guess that's a, a good thing but it's it's i try to make it clear in the preface and in the writing that you have to not just follow what i'm saying in a literal fashion you know you you have to kind of bring your be in the moment and and be alive to what the other person is doing and maybe what i'm writing about is completely inappropriate to your circumstances so please don't do what i'm writing here because it'll get you in trouble
0: so now now robert you've put in the 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 billion hours, gazillion hours to to master writing. You're working on your next book. You've done a, a bunch of great books. What is and and sorry for the basic question, but basically, what's a day in the life like? Like, how do you uh, continue your mastery every day of
1: writing? Well, it's it's not horribly glamorous. It's it's a lot of uh, research, and um, the writing is actually maybe one-third of the process, so I'll go for a year or more just researching and organizing my thoughts and, and the research material. And then I write, so my, it's different depending on where I am at. Right now I'm just reading book after book after book and trying to organize my thoughts for this uh, project on human nature that I mentioned. Then when I'm starting to write, it's um, I could, I'll just sit and write for like, three hours or four hours a day and then I'm just like relaxing the rest of the time and normally I do a lot of exercise and sports it's how I deal with my stress but unfortunately with a broken foot I'm not able to do that so I'm kind of going crazy right now
0: so you don't really, like a lot of writers spend a lot of time building their so-called platform, whether it's their Facebook presence, their Twitter presence, their blog. You don't focus too much on that. You're very much focused on what is the next book going to be and how you can improve that.
1: Yeah, I'm a little, you know, I'm, 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 I'm 54. I've got sort of habits. I'm not totally of the social media generation. I'm in, you know, Facebook, and I'm addicted to it like anybody, but um, I've never I, I, it's, if you talk about mastery where I, I tell people to do what they love and to listen to your own voice, I listen to myself and I, don't, I get most excited by writing books. I do want to be, blog more because uh, I actually so, sort of enjoy it, but I figured out what it is that I like the most and it's actually creating something, usually a book, and not um, dissipating my time. And a hundred different platforms trying to build up an audience etc i just find it exhausting and depressing for me so i like but i'm fortunate that now i have an audience uh, of read my other books that i can do that if i were a young writer just starting out i wouldn't have that luxury i'd have to do what you're talking about and you know spreading my name out all as many different places as i could online and creating a presence and i I'm kind of a dinosaur, there aren't going to be probably many of me type, my type left in the years to come, um, but I figured that if that's my strength is writing a book, um, you know, I, I might as well just do that and then, and then go the way of the brontosaur.
0: Well, Robert, I have thoroughly enjoyed all of your books, I highly recommend Mastery, I'm really looking forward to, to the next book, and uh, I'm really glad we had this chance to, to interview you today.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun –